Good morning. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read uh, one phrase from one verse that's very familiar to us. And this will introduce the topic to us this morning. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. Paul says this, For consider your calling, brethren, Consider your calling, brethren. Uh, Here Paul is obviously speaking about um, how God has called um, certain individuals to be saved. Uh, That is to say, he's called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has called them into a relationship with himself. But we know the context of this verse. What Paul is basically saying is that um, the the message of the, the cross, the gospel, is... Uh, in many ways, foolish to those who hear it. Many ways, foolish to those who hear it. And he basically says, just just look in your midst, look at who God has called to himself. Not many are wise, not many are powerful, not many strong. God has called uh, the weak things of this world, for example, to, to put to shame those things which are mighty. Uh, but I want to just think of that phrase this morning, consider your calling, brethren. A lot of Christians, when they think about God calling them to himself, for a lot of Christians, that calling stops at the point of salvation. But we we know from Scripture that God has called us to so much more than just a simple relationship with himself. For example, a a verse that we all memorize as children, Ephesians 2.10. Maggie even was was singing the... the, Sunday school version of the song this morning. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, God has called each and every person. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only has he called you to himself relationally, but he has called you to something. And like I said, for many Christians, that calling really stops at the point of salvation. Unfortunately today, if you look at Christendom as a whole, many Christians, yes, they they know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Yes, they believe in him. But a lot of times that's where it stops. And yet the scriptures are very clear. God has called us to so much more. And so this morning I would like to talk to you about our calling, um, but in a fairly specific way. When I was speaking a few months ago um, in James, I, I told you that when we came to the passage on prayer, I said, that prayer is one of the weakest areas of my life. And I think many Christians would agree uh, with me about that, that being true of they themselves as well. But this morning, I want to talk to you about the weakest area of my life. And it's not even close. And I say it to my shame. But the idea, part of our calling is that we would be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. And by far and away, that is the weakest area of my life. That is sharing my faith with others, evangelizing the world. And that's one thing I want to look at this morning. And I'm going to have you look at, I'm not going to do it in a typical way. I'm going to look at the Old Testament. Okay, now before I even turn there, I just want to say, I've realized that there's a difference between the church and Israel. Okay, I realize that that the prophet we're looking at was called to Israel, we're called to the world, and so on. I realize there's a difference. I realize there's a different dispensation, and so on and so forth. I know all those details. But when we look at this calling, I want you to see, and I think we'll all walk away realizing that what this uh, what this prophet was called to is almost verbatim to what you and I are called to as well. So if you would, uh, turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel. Contrary to popular belief, I am not touching chapter 1 at all, uh, nor will I continue to go through Ezekiel after this. Some people have asked that. No, that is not the case at all. Uh, we are going to look at uh, when God calls Ezekiel to be a prophet for himself. And we're going to do a fair bit of reading this morning, uh, starting in Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 1. We realize that in chapter 1, Ezekiel is given a vision um, by God, and it is there that Ezekiel sees the glory of God. He sees the creatures that are surrounding him. He describes a lot of uh, things that are difficult to explain, which I won't even try to explain this morning. We're picking up right after that, okay? So at the end of at the end of chapter one, it's, it's Ezekiel says, "So when I saw it, that is the glory of God, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice of one speaking. And he said to me, "Son of man, stand on your feet." And I will speak to you. 
Then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briers and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and I and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go, speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely, had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you, because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces, and your forehead strong against their foreheads. Like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you, and hear with your ears. And go, get to the captives, to the children of, of your people, and speak to them, and tell them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. Drop down to verse 15. Then I came to the, to the captives at Tel Abib, who dwelt by the river Kibar, and I sat where they sat, and remained there astonished among them seven days. Our Father in heaven, we do just come before you this morning, and... Um, we really just thank you for calling us to yourself. Father, we realize that your calling had nothing to do with us, but it was purely your kindness and your, and your goodness to us. Father, your word says that it's the kindness of God that leads a man to repentance. And Father, we realize that there was a point in time in which all of us uh, saw our wretched sinfulness, but Father, in light of that, saw your kindness. And we just thank you for your goodness to us. But Father, as we look at your word, Father, we ask that you would help us to discern it correctly, help us to apply it effectively. But Father, ultimately, we pray that you would change our lives. Father, we realize that there are so many souls among us um, that don't know you, so many souls that don't know your kindness. And quite frankly, Father, I, I confess how I am failing to reach out to them. So Father, we just ask that you would speak to us. Now, Father, you told Ezekiel that it would be clear that um, your people would hear his message and, and it would be clear to them that a prophet was among them. Father, we ask that that would be true this morning. Not that it would be clear that we would have a prophet among us, but Father, that it would be clear that we heard from your voice. And so, Father, we just ask that you to speak to us in Christ's name. Amen. You can't really speak on a topic like uh, Ezekiel, for example, and not have to give a lot of context or background as to what is happening. Because if you're like me, quite frankly, most Christians really, their understanding of the Bible drastically falls once you get out of Second Chronicles. Yes, we can go through Ezra and Nehemiah, but once you get past that and enter in the prophets, it really starts, the lines start to blur together. And uh, books like Ezekiel are particularly difficult to read through because they're not a very positive book. Um, I like to read through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and let me tell you, when I hit Ezekiel, and books like Ezekiel, I just have to put my head down and really get through it, because um, the first two-thirds of the book are really speaking of God's judgment. And in the morning, 
I don't know about you, but that's not a really refreshing thing to me. Okay. Um, so, so it's very difficult, but we have to, uh, understand certain points of, um, what's going on in Israel. You remember, uh, the Lord sent Jeremiah to the nation of Judah. Okay. So you have Israel. You remember how, um, after King David and after King Solomon, the nation became divided. Right? So you had the northern kingdom, which was where Israel was, and then the southern kingdom, which was where Judah was. And you read through first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, and, uh, it's kind of a discouraging book to read. A lot of discouragement this morning, but, but they're kind of discouraging because y- you read through it and most of them are a mess. They're very evil before God, and, uh, some of them are just very corrupt, and their hearts are far from God. And the Lord allows that to continue on, where you have both nations divided for 256 years, 253 years. You have the nations are divided. And most of the time when you read through those books, you see that their hearts are far from God, and the Lord allows that to continue. Well, the Lord sends Jeremiah to the prophet, or sorry, to the people of, of Judah in the days of um, Josiah. You remember as you read through the, the second Kings and second Chronicles, the days of Josiah was like kind of the last bright spot of that era. Josiah heard the prophecies of Jeremiah and as a young man turned all of the hearts of Israel to God or all of the hearts of Judah to God. And at that point, Israel had already been carried away because they were so evil before God. The Lord used the Assyrians to carry uh, the, the Israelite portion of the kingdom away. And so you have Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet along with Daniel and Ezekiel in that area towards the end of the era of the kings. They were all prophets at the same time. And it was the darkest period of Israel's history. The darkest period of Israel's history. Um, But you remember because of Israel's um, unfaithfulness to God, because of their sin, one of the um, one of the prophecies that Jeremiah gave was God is going to raise up a nation and they're going to carry all of us into captivity for 70 years. You remember that? For 70 years. And basically what the Lord does is he, the, the, the reason why he comes to 70 is every seventh year in Israel, what they were supposed to do is they were supposed to let the land rest, right? So for six years, they're supposed to harvest their crops, set aside portions that they need. But every seventh year, they were to let the land rest. And never do you see that practice in scripture. And so the Lord sits down, he gets his calculator out, and he says, all right, so much time has passed. They haven't let the land rest. They owe me 70 years. And so that's how this number came out to be. And so the Lord sends Jeremiah, and he tells the people, this is going to happen. For a moment of time, they believe him, but then other prophets come up and they say the opposite. And then all of a sudden, there's confusion. And so what the Lord does is he raises up King Nebuchadnezzar and the Assyrian Empire to punish the rest of the Israelites that are remaining in the land, that is, the, the, the Judeans there. But if you, you remember reading, um, when Nebuchadnezzar comes up against Jerusalem, he doesn't take them out in one foul swoop. He comes, and it's actually done in three different phases. So you have in 2 Kings 24, King Nebuchadnezzar comes up, and what he does is he removes the king from the throne and sets up someone of his own liking. And he he allows that period to go on. But when he returns back to Assyria, he takes people captive. He takes the cream of the crop, the most educated, the best well-dressed, those, uh, those who are just have the most potential to be a benefit to him. And one of those men's name is Daniel. He takes Daniel captive the first in the first wave. And then he returns eight years later because the kings had rebelled against him at that point and they were siding with Egypt and so on and so forth. And so he comes back eight years later and decides to take 10,000 more people captive. And amongst those 10,000 people was this man, Ezekiel. Meanwhile, Jeremiah is in the land, Okay. So it's kind of interesting when you kind of zoom out and you see what, what God was doing. He made sure that there was a true prophet of God with every group of people. Okay? So there is Ezekiel. He's in captivity. And he's in captivity for 10 years before Nebuchadnezzar returns to Judah and finishes off the job. So for 10 years, he's amongst a group of 10,000 people in captivity. And you know what these 10,000 people are saying? They're saying, when is God going to deliver us? When is God going to take us home? When is he going to take out Nebuchadnezzar like he took out Egypt, like we heard in, in our ancestors' history? When is he going to come through? Do you know what Ezekiel's message is? 
he's not going to save you. For 10 years, he's proclaiming this message. There is no hope for this generation. In fact, look around. All of us here, we're going to die. And this is where we're going to die. Talk about an unpopular message. Would you like to be Ezekiel being the man given that message? So for 10 years, he's proclaiming this message, and these people don't believe him. They don't believe him. They say, oh, no, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. God wouldn't do that to his people. Until finally, 10 years later, Nebuchadnezzar goes and he finishes off the job. He takes everyone else captive that's in Judah. He burns the temple to the ground. And it's there where Jeremiah writes the words of lamentations that we read, where he says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. There's Jeremiah in the land and he sees all of this happening. And if you read Ezekiel, you read through the book, you realize in the 24th chapter, the Spirit of God moves Ezekiel to give a prophecy the very day that the temples burned down. So 24 chapters passes by in those 10 years where Ezekiel is just proclaiming God's judgment on the people. There's no hope. So here is Ezekiel. Uh, We read in in verse 1 of of chapter 1 that Ezekiel is 30 years old and he's in the priestly line. The reason why that's so significant is because when you are in the priestly line, when you finally hit the age 30, you are finally at the age where you can finally partake in the priestly duties. So here's Ezekiel. He's one of the few men in his generation that seem to have a heart for God. He's finally at the age where he can finally serve the Lord in the manner that he was meant to. But the Lord takes him into captivity. And so instead of being a priest, what is he called to be? A prophet. More specifically, a bearer of bad news. Okay? You read through Ezekiel. There's 48 chapters in the book. The first 32, so two-thirds of the book, is uh, Ezekiel is proclaiming God's judgment on the nation for 32 chapters. That's why when you read through Ezekiel, you just put your head down until you hit chapter 33, where finally the Lord starts to talk about the promises he's made to the nation. But you talk about Ezekiel for 10 years having to proclaim that there's no hope. For 10 years, people don't believe him. For 10 years, people uh, just, just ridicule him. And then even after those 10 years are up, he he isn't a very popular guy because the people realize that what Ezekiel has been saying is true and there's no hope. And so that's what I want to look at. Um, there, There are three things I want to point out to you about the calling of Ezekiel, three things. The first thing are the parameters of the call, the parameters of the call. The second is the problem of the call. And then thirdly, the proximity. So the parameters, the problem, in the proximity. So look at verse 1 of chapter 2. There's Ezekiel on the floor, and he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house. So as we look at what the parameters of the call are, we want to ask three questions. Who was he sent to? How was he to go? And why was he sent? Those are the three things we want to see with the parameters. The first thing, who is he sent to? Right off the gate, he refers, the Lord refers to the people of Israel as rebellious people. In fact, in this short passage that we read, eight different times the Lord refers to them as rebellious. Eight times. We only read 20 verses, and yet eight times the Lord calls his people rebellious. You say, well, isn't that getting kind of carried away, Lord? I mean, eight times. Well, you have to realize, like I said, for 250 years, there was God sending prophets to his people saying, you need to repent. You need to turn back. You need to obey the law law that I have for you. Not, not just because I'm a strict God, but for your own good, for your own benefit, because you made this agreement with me, and yet they rebelled. And God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to his people, and the children of Israel either killed the prophet or refused to listen. For over 250 years, the Lord did that. And yet he says, these people are rebellious. They've rebelled against me to this very day. And as I think about what Ezekiel was called to proclaim, 
I can't help but see so many similarities to what you and I are called to as well. I mean, are we really called to, to different people at this point? I realize he's speaking to Israel. They've rebelled against God. But isn't that true of every sinner outside the doors? We are called to people who have rebelled against God, who have constantly lived in rebellion to him, have constantly resisted the Spirit's calling to them, and those are the people we're called to. Notice not only are they rebellious, but the Lord tells Ezekiel in verse 4 that they're impudent and stubborn people. Uh, Some translations might read uh, stubborn and obstinate. Uh, the idea is uh, of impudent. Uh, the, the word means hard. It literally means hard. If you remember in um, Exodus when Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says the Lord wants you to let his people go so he can offer sacrifices to him. Do you remember what, what the Pharaoh did the very first thing? He said, well, why don't, why don't we go and let's make work a little more difficult for the Israelites. So instead of providing them the straw and the mortar that they need to fulfill their tasks, let's let them gather it all to themselves. And, he, and in Exodus, it says that Pharaoh did this to, to increase the hard labor of the people. That's the word. It just means hard. And so what the Lord is saying is, I'm sending you to people who are hard-hearted. There was the Lord for multiple centuries trying to penetrate the hard hearts of these people. And yet they resisted him. Not only are they hard-hearted, but they're obstinate. Uh, the word means strong. It's, it's actually interesting, the, the, the word Ezekiel, the name Ezekiel, it means strengthened by God. And so when the Lord says, I'm sending you to these obstinate people, it's actually slightly a play on words because his name means strong. And you have these people who, are, who have, have, have strongly resisted God in a negative way. I mean, is that much different for us? I mean, if you think about the people that, that are in this world, how, how long they've resisted, how long they've hardened their hearts to the gospel. And you can't really blame them when you think about Christianity and, and how the, really the church has failed to present Christ in their life. You really can't blame them. But these are the kinds of people that we're called to. And so we've seen who is he sent to. He's sent to rebellious people who are hard-hearted and have strongly resisted the Lord. But the, the next thing we need to ask is, well, how is he to go? Because the Lord is very specific when he calls Ezekiel to go to these people. He's very specific as how they are to go. Look at verse 6. He says, And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and, briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words or be dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. How is he to go? The first thing we see is he's to go fearlessly. I don't know about you, but that's probably the number one struggle I have when talking to, to anyone about the Lord. But, but you think about Ezekiel and the position he's in. He had every right to be fearful. Here was a man taken out of his homeland, placed in a foreign country, a foreign land with, with these pagan people around him. Not only that, but he's surrounded by people who are just so rebellious towards God. And you, when you consider the message God has called him to proclaim, he had every reason to be afraid. And yet the Lord says, I want you to go, Ezekiel, but you can't be afraid. You can't be afraid of them. You can't be afraid of their words. You can't be afraid of their looks. And you say, well, Lord, why? How, how can you really ask that? But look at the end of verse 6. I think this is the key. He says, do not be afraid of their words or dis- be dismayed by their presence though they are a rebellious house. Some translations would read, for they are a rebellious house. In other words, Ezekiel, I want you to go to these people who are in rebellion against me, and you can't be afraid because they are the ones who who um, have a bad standing before me. They are the ones who have rebelled against me. In other words, I want you to go, and don't be afraid because you are the one that's in the right, Ezekiel, not them. You realize what the Lord says, not to fear man, but to fear God. Don't fear the one who can destroy the body, but the, fear the one who can destroy the, 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 the soul. And that's the whole idea that the Lord here is saying to Ezekiel, go and don't be afraid because you're in the right and they're in the wrong. I wonder if we miss that. I know I do. Realizing in, 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 in the calling that we have to present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the, to the lost souls in this world, I wonder if I am so temporally minded. I think only about today. But if I share the gospel with my coworkers at work, maybe they'll think differently of me. 
Maybe there'll be some circumstances in life here. But does that really matter in the scope of eternity? Honestly. And yet these are the fears I know that hold me back. And yet the Lord says to Ezekiel, I want you to go, but you have to go fearlessly. Don't be afraid. Don't be temporally minded to where you're only focused on the effects that it will take place in your life today. Think about eternity. Go fearlessly. Verse 7, there's a phrase here that the Lord repeats three times. The, the, last, the second thing that he tells him how he's to go is he wants him to go relentlessly. Look at verse 7. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse whether they hear or whether they refuse. And he says that three times in this passage. I don't know about you, but whenever I do share the gospel, the stars have to align in a certain way. I mean, they have to ask the question. They have to be curious. They have to express some curiosity about the word of God. And, and I have to be in, in a good position where I'm not too busy and, and there's not too much going on that day where I can finally have the time to share with this person. The stars have to align. And if they don't, they, if they don't align, quite frankly, I'm, I'm pretty bad at it, to be honest. And yet the Lord tells Ezekiel, I want you to go and I want you to proclaim this sad message, whether they hear you or not. You get into chapter three and the Lord tells Ezekiel, by the way, they're not going to hear you. Because I've been trying to tell them this whole time and they haven't been listening. But I want you to go whether they hear you or not. It's difficult. I wish we had time to go deeper into chapter 3, but you can read it when you get home. But towards the end of chapter 3, the Lord calls Ezekiel and he says, Ezekiel, I'm making you my watchman. And the analogy that he's using is, is, is above every city they would have this tall tower. And the person above would stand watch on this tall tower. And the idea was this tower could see, could overlook the city, but then also see miles extended beyond that if the enemy was coming, he would be able to warn the city. And the Lord is saying, Ezekiel, you're my watchman. But here's the key. If you fail to warn the city and something happens to them, their blood is on your hands. Their blood is on your hands. That's the analogy, that's the message the Lord gives to Ezekiel. And quite frankly, I wonder how many people will stand before the Lord and hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. And yet I wonder how many of them could say, well, if Nick knew this was waiting me, waiting for me, why didn't he tell me? I, I really do fear that, and I think about that a lot. How many people will be able to stand before the Lord and say, why didn't Nick just tell me? If he was so aware about what promises he had in Christ, if he was so aware of, of, of the free gift of Christ and how great a relationship is with him, and if he was so aware of what awaited me, why wouldn't he tell me? And yet that's the whole idea. Ezekiel, you're my watchman. And I want you to go and I want you to proclaim this message even though it's going to cause them to hate you, even though it's going to cause them to, to um, be so frustrated towards you. I want you to go tell this message because you're my watchman, and if you don't, then you'll be slightly guilty in the process. How hard is that? And yet I really fear that one day people will be able to say, well, why didn't Nick tell me? I want you to go relentlessly. For 10 years, Ezekiel is proclaiming this message, and he sees no fruit whatsoever. How easy it would be to be discouraged. He says, Lord, I tried. They didn't, they didn't listen. They refused to listen to me. They refused to give me the time of day. The Lord says, I want you to tell them anyways. The last thing in verse 8, he says, I want you to go obediently. Look at verse 8. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Here's the key. Why, why is the church failing in so many ways? to be a good witness for Christ. Here's the key. The Lord tells Ezekiel, I'm going to send you to a rebellious house, but in order for this to work, in order for this to be effective, you can't be like them. You can't live your life the way they've been living, Ezekiel. They have, there has to be a difference in your life, and it has to be visible. Quite frankly, I wonder if, if, if the world looks at my life, do they see a difference? 
Because if they don't see a difference and I go and proclaim the message of Christ to them, do you really think it's appealing to them? They say, well, Nick, you need it just as bad as I do. There's no difference between you and me. And this is the key. So Ezekiel is saying, or the Lord is telling Ezekiel, I'm going to send you to this house, but you can't be like them. You can't be rebellious as they are rebellious. You have to be obedient. And I, and I really do wonder if um, people will be able to say that about me. Are we obedient to the Lord? I mean, do we, do we live in our lives in a way where um, it's just so evident that we're children of the Lord? Is it so evident that, that we, our citizenship is in heaven? And so the way we live our life, it's so different from the way that the world lives their life that they can see a drastic difference in our life and think, I wonder what's different about him. But he wants them to go, or he wants Ezekiel to go fearlessly, obedient, or relentlessly, and finally, obediently. So we've answered the question of the parameters. Who is he sent to? To a rebellious house. To a hard-hearted people. How is he to go? Fearlessly, relentlessly, and obediently. Lastly, as we look at the parameters, we need to ask the question, well, why is he sent? Why is he sent? Look at verse 9, and we're going to read through verse 3 of chapter 3. The Lord uh, Ezekiel says, Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me. So at the end of verse 8, he says, Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And the Lord reaches out his hand and hands him this scroll. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat this scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So why is he sent? It's very interesting. The Lord here hands Ezekiel this, this, this book, essentially this scroll that would represent everything that he wants Ezekiel to proclaim. Now we have to ask ourselves, well, what is on the scroll? And, and, and Ezekiel answers the question, on it were written lamentations and mourning and woe. Why? Because on this scroll was written the judgment of God. All of the judgment that was to come on the nation was written on this scroll. And, and he tells Ezekiel, this is what I want you to eat. This is what I want you to proclaim. So simply put, why is the Lord sending Ezekiel? Because his judgment is about to be poured out. And he wants his people to be warned. I mean, isn't that why we should proclaim the gospel as well? Because there's a judgment coming for every lost soul in this world that doesn't know Christ, and we need to warn them. We need to warn them. But it's very interesting. There's, there's an interesting fact here that he tells us about the scroll, and it's very important that we notice. Notice in verse 10 at the end, or in the middle, it says, And there was writing on the inside and on the outside of the scroll. Now, we realize what a scroll is, right? It's a long piece of parchment paper, and they would they would write whatever inscriptions they wanted to, and then it would be rolled up on both sides. But it was very rare for them to use both sides of the scroll because it doesn't make any sense because it's already difficult to unravel it. You, he fills up the whole scroll, and then he flips it over, and, and he writes more. And, you, and a lot of people have asked the question, well, why would the Lord write on both sides of the scroll? And a lot of people have suggested different things. We're going to go with the simple straightaway answer because there was a lot he had to write down. Pretty simple. There was a lot he wanted his people to be warned about. And it couldn't fit on one scroll. There's so much that this world is have. um, Romans talks about the wrath of God being poured out and how the gospel saves us from that. But there's going to come a day where the world will not be saved from that where the wrath of God will finally be poured out, and we have to warn them. We have to warn them. It's interesting, though, here. You notice there are so many things we could pull out of here, but notice that the Lord gives Ezekiel uh, this scroll to eat, but what's the intention of him eating it? To share it. He wants you to consume the word of God so that you can share it. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, in the assemblies, in our circles, we have perfected the art of eating. 
both literally and spiritually. You, you should have seen me at the Cracker Barrel yesterday. I've perfected the, the art of eating. Okay? But when we talk about how each and every one of us come together every Sunday and we pour our hearts into the Word of God, we consume and digest so much of the portions of the Word of God. But for me, my weakness is sharing it after I've consumed it. And the Lord tells Ezekiel, I want you to eat this, not so that you can keep it for yourself, but so that you can share it with others as well. Do we do that? Because there is a judgment of God that is coming for the people, and we need to warn them. I remember when I was working in um, in Costco, um, uh, I had a uh, a friend there whose name was Zach, and um, it's a good name, Zach. Um, but but I was there at Costco, and I, I and I remember I wanted to have a good testimony. I purposed in my heart to have a good testimony there, and I, I wanted one of the ways I wanted to have a good testimony there was having a good work ethic, because quite frankly, a lot of people there didn't have a good work ethic, um, and so. Basically, I, I wanted to have this testimony where I was a good worker, but then also was a faithful witness for the Lord there. Now, it's very difficult to have both at the same time. Because quite frankly, a lot of people, when they didn't want to work, they would just stand around and talk. Now, if I wanted to have a good testimony of working, I didn't want to be like those people. But then at the same time, if I wanted to share the gospel, then I wanted to you know, stand around and talk. So it was very difficult to maintain uh, both sides. Um, but the Lord had arranged it in a way where there was one day where I was working alongside this guy named Zach. And um, and the Lord uh, arranged it perfectly where we were able to work well, but then also it was kind of mind, mindless tasks, so I was also able to talk with him. And I remember thinking, um, if I don't share the gospel today, I'm really going to kick myself later. So I brought up a spiritual conversation, and, and I gave him the gospel, and it really wasn't a strong presentation of the gospel, um, unfortunately. But I remember after that, I worked there for a few months. I was never able to follow up with Zach, but I always wanted to. But then the Lord called me away from Costco, and I became a driver, EPS. And um, Maggie and I would continue shopping there at Costco, as we will until we die. Um, but uh, but there we were, there I was at Costco, and I would shop, and I would always look, look for Zach, just to see if he was there. Saw him a couple times, I'd wave. But then there was a stretch of time where I never saw him. Thought, well, that's kind of strange. Maybe, maybe you got a job somewhere else, moved on, whatever the case was. So there was one day I was shopping and I was in the, in the parking lot loading up the groceries and everything. And, um, and his roommate, who also worked at Costco, came up to me. He was my friend and he was asking me how I was doing, telling him. But then I asked him, I was like, hey, where's Zach? I haven't seen Zach in a while. And, um, I realized his demeanor kind of changed. He's like, oh yeah, Zach doesn't work here anymore. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. Well, where does he work? And um, he started to tear up. And he said, Zach actually killed himself last month. He killed himself last month. And I, and all I could think of was, was that day where I gave the gospel poorly, not really caring. I, I really gave it so that I wouldn't feel bad later. You know what I mean? It never followed up. And yet here is a man who in his mind realized there's no point in living. There's no hope in this life. So I'm just going to heal myself. It's very hard. And there are people all around us who would fit the mold of Zach. Hopeless. Having no idea that there is the greatest gift God could possibly give mankind waiting for them. And they have no idea. Because we don't care enough to tell them. Because we're so focused on, on ourselves and our own comfort and how we feel. At least that's true of me. And yet he would just kill himself. We need to tell them. We need to tell them there's, there's the judgment of God that will one day come and be poured out completely righteously, completely deserving on this world. I'm so thankful that we don't have the bad news that Ezekiel had. Ezekiel says there's no hope, get comfortable. For us, we can at least present how, how there is a need for, for, for judgment of, by God of our sin, but there's also a way out because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. But that's what Ezekiel was called to. So we saw the parameters of the call. Who is he sent to? How was he to go? And why was he sent? Because judgment of God was coming. And he wanted uh, his people to be warned. Uh, secondly, we see the problem of the call. Look at verses 4 through 9. There's a big problem with this call. 
you would think if um, if the Lord would go through some so much trouble to call a prophet to his people, it would be because there would be a big change. But notice verse 4 of chapter 3. It says, Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to those of the house of Israel, not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely I had, surely had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to me, or will not listen to you, because they will not listen to me. For all of the house of Israel was impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces, and your foreheads strong against their foreheads. Like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks though they are a rebellious house. So what's the problem here? Well, the problem is, the Lord's saying, Ezekiel, I'm sending you to the house of Israel, and there's going to be no change whatsoever. There's going to be no effect on how they, they, they look at God. There's going to be no effect on, 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 on their life. Your ministry, it's not going to matter much. I mean, can you imagine being told that at the very beginning? I would think, well, Lord, why, why should I go anyways? And, and, but notice what the Lord says. He's like, he says, Ezekiel, I'm not sending you to a people that you don't know how to communicate to. In other words, I'm not sending you to China where you're going to have to learn the language. I'm going to send you to the people you already know and love. The people you are already able to communicate with. But the problem is, they're not going to listen to you whatsoever. But he says it, but it would be better, it would be more effective if I sent, if I did send you to China, for example, because they would actually listen. You think, well, Lord, why in the world are you sending Ezekiel? I really struggled with this as I was looking at this. For 250 years, the Lord lets us go on, where he tells them about this judgment, where he tells them this need to repent, but they never repent. You think, well, Lord, why even bother sending him? Just wipe him out. But the heart of God is, is, is so faithful to mankind that he does everything possible to call people to himself. A lot of people struggle with this concept of hell. I think if there's one doctrine today that is being completely destroyed by the world, it's a doctrine of hell, even amongst Christians. And, and I realize that there are a lot of good questions about hell. How can a, a kind and good God send someone to such a terrible place? I realize that. There, those are some valid questions. But the reality is if you read through the word of God, no one will ever be able to stand before God as he condemns them to hell and say, well, why didn't you do more to save me? No one will be able to say that. He's not willing that any should perish. He is doing everything possible to save others from hell. If there are people to blame, you know who it is? You and me. Well, why, if God cares so much to save me from hell, and he sent Nick and he sent the church to, to the lost of this world, why aren't they being as faithful as God? Do you see the problem? We should be so faithfully and zealously proclaiming the gospel to the lost here. But it's interesting in verses 8 and 9, he, he uses this weird language. He's just talking about stones and how their face are hard and how he's making Ezekiel harder than them. What in the world is he saying? Um, well, I worked in construction for a while. It was uh, a good time and a bad time. But I worked in, in construction for a while. And... Um, one thing I, I came to learn pretty quickly is that everything in the construction industry, maybe it's just every industry, but it's expensive. The tools, the equipment, everything's expensive. Steve Boucher probably knows better than I do. Um, but one of the things that is, is essential when you are doing a work project is obviously to have the right tools. Okay. And one thing that we did a lot of that I hated was concrete work. You know, there's nothing easy in concrete work. Everything's heavy. You're always in the sun. It's just terrible. Well, anyways, um, when you're dealing with concrete, you obviously need a different saw for the concrete. But do you know, in order to have a saw that cuts through the hardened concrete, do you know what they use? I was blown away by this. They use diamonds. What they call is a diamond saw. And, and, and in this saw, it's a metal saw, obviously, but within this metal saw are bits of diamonds. Because the whole idea is, in order to get through a hard, um, a hard, uh, like a surface area like concrete, you need something that's even harder than the concrete. And a diamond is something that they use. Very expensive. I was shocked. 
when I saw that. You guys don't look shocked. Maybe I was, maybe that was just me. But I was, I was shocked that, that we would use diamonds to cut through ugly concrete. But anyways, that, that's what, that's what we would do. And the whole idea here, um, the Lord is telling Ezekiel, yes, their, their hearts are hardened. Yes, they are stubborn and stiff-necked people, but I'm going to make your message very effective and very powerful. And it's the same with us. There's nothing you and I can do to save anyone. And yet Paul says in First Corinthians, or sorry, Romans 1.16, I am unashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. There's nothing you and I can say, but if we proclaim the gospel, the power of the gospel is what will bring them to uh, the Lord. The message was offensive. And yet, the Lord still called Ezekiel to proclaim it. That's true of every person that the Lord calls in the Word of God. Now, I just I want to say something. It's it's something that I've noticed that's taking place um, in, in, in Christendom today. And I see it in assemblies. I see it in the mega churches down the street. I see it everywhere. We live in such a sensitive society. I know we know this. But you can't mention how certain practices or certain ways of living is sinful without just being deemed this unsensitive person. And so what people are doing is they're saying, okay, well, why don't we kind of give the gospel, but let's leave out the sin part. Let's leave out the, the hell part. And let's just, let's just proclaim that God is love and God is accepting of everyone. And, and let me tell you, I see this even in assemblies today. People are just so afraid to offend people in this world. And I realize that when we present the gospel, that we should do so in a way that is uh, wise and sensitive in areas we can be sensitive, but we cannot compromise the truth of the gospel. The gospel is offensive. It is offensive. I mean, you go down the street and tell someone that the way they're living is, is deserving of death and God's going to judge them. That's pretty offensive. But that's the truth of the gospel. And so we cannot compromise that. And he called um, Ezekiel not to compromise as well. Um, there's one quote I would like to give you uh, from Charles Spurgeon. It's something Micah Tuttle always quotes, but it's such a good quote. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with their arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled... Let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. If hell, if hell must be filled, then, then, then please let it be filled, but, but with us imploring these people for the truth and, and, and knowing that there's a God who loves them and saves them. Is that our heart? Let no one go un, unwarned and unprayed for. The Lord tells Ezekiel three times whether they hear or whether they refuse, I still want you to go. And that's true of us today. The last thing I want to say in closing, we've seen, we've seen the, the parameters of the call, the problem of the call. The last thing, it's going to be really short, I promise, is the proximity of the call. I'm going to make such a simple observation here. You're going to wonder why I'm even speaking, okay? But let's look, let's look at verse, um, three of chapter one. This is the only verse I'm going to touch in chapter one, I promise. It's only verse I want to touch in chapter one. Um, in verse 3, this is when the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel. And in verse 3 of chapter 1, it says, The word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans, but where specifically? By the river Kibar. Okay, now look at verse uh, 15 of chapter 3. Okay, so we just want to look at uh, where the message takes place, where the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel, and then where does he go right after that? Look at verse 15 of chapter 3. Then I came to the captives at Tel Abib, who dwelt where? By the river Kibar. I want you to see, this is the most important part of, of this, this message this morning. The proximity of the gospel is that Ezekiel starts to proclaim the word of God where he already is. A lot of us, we, 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 we think about serving the Lord in this way and proclaiming the gospel, and a lot of us have maybe the, the idea that, okay, then maybe we should go off to a foreign land. And I hope that's true of some in this room. I hope that's true that God will call some of us in this room to serve him in that way, in a different country. But where does it start? It starts where they already are. You look at this in the New Testament. 
the Lord says, I'm going to send you out as disciples and you're going to touch Jerusalem, Samaria, and all the, all, to all the ends of the earth, right? But where were they when they said that? Jerusalem. He says, it's going to start where you are and then from there it's going to breach out. Now that's so important for you and I. Because where you are today is where the Lord has called you to proclaim the gospel. Maybe you're in the hospital. There are a lot of us here that works in healthcare. Maybe you're in the hospital. Maybe you're a teacher in the school. Maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're unemployed and you're looking for work. Maybe you're retired. I envy you. Maybe you're retired and you're walking the dog and you come across your neighbor who's also walking his dog. That is your mission field. I, I, every Monday I deliver to a, a Lutheran church. Now we can disagree with Lutherans on a lot of things. I do disagree with Lutherans on a lot of things. But as I leave this parking lot, there is one sign that I'm thinking about buying for the Shawnee Bible Chapel. But I don't know. I should talk to the elders. But um, there's this sign that as you're pulling out of the parking lot, there's this sign. And you know what it says? You are now entering the mission field. And I think, wow, that's so true. You are now entering the mission field. And I think, Lord, you didn't put that for there for the Lutherans. You put that there for me. The Lord's reminding me that as we leave today, as we walk out those doors, we are entering the mission field where God has called you to be. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Do you realize, as a stay-at-home mom, um, you are able to reach certain individuals that no one else in this world would probably reach? Your kids have play dates with people. You have your kids in your home, and your kids, you have the opportunity to pour your life and heart into your kids. You go to the park, and who's there? The other stay-at-home mom who has nothing to do for the rest of the day, who's also at the park just trying to get their kids tired before they go to bed. I mean, you are able to reach so many people that only you can reach. Maybe the Lord calls you to be in an ugly brown truck for what seems like 80 hours a week, but the Lord has called me to be there to reach certain individuals that perhaps only I can reach. But the question is, will I respond to that? Will I be that vessel and allow the Lord to use me? I love this passage because the Lord tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I want you to go and I want you to proclaim my message. In other words, Ezekiel, I want you to be part of what I'm doing. I don't need you, Ezekiel. I really don't. Think about how many times the Lord could send an angel down to proclaim. Whatever the case is, he doesn't need any of us. But we have the privilege to play such a small part in what the Lord is doing. But it's just a matter of will you and I respond? Will you and I be that person who proclaims that unpopular message, but will do so faithfully, whether they hear or whether they refuse? May we be good watchmen wherever we are. Our Father in heaven, we just uh, come before you this morning. <sighs> Father, I, I can't think of a topic like this without first just confessing my own failure, Lord. Uh, Lord, I think of Zach and, and the many souls that I'm around every day, that I have the opportunity to tell about the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet how many times I've failed to do so. But Father, we pray that today, today there would be a change in all of our lives and that we would be, in fact, faithful watchmen. We thank you for each and every person here. We thank you for the kids downstairs and the Sunday school teachers pouring their lives into them. Father, we just ask for your blessing upon them. Father, we do pray that as we leave, that we would have it in our hearts and minds, realizing that we are entering into the mission field that you've called us to be in. I thank you for that. In the Lord Jesus Christ's name, amen.